Are either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Welcome back inside the screening room. Take a look at the week's new releases. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com, and we have a particular set of skills <laughs> to review movies. At least we like to think so. And that kind of ties in with one of the movies we're going to be talking about. And this is the Screening Room Podcast, sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. Where you will find a 70-foot-wide ultra screen featuring Dolby Atmos surround sound and Dream Lounge recliners. Settle into those comfy chairs and enjoy. <laughs> It's another week where we see a big release that it sounds like it's a January release, but it's really not. When movies open up at the end of 2017 in just New York and L.A. to get out in time for the Oscars. Right. And then now they're rolling out to the rest of the rest of the country. And that is the case this week with the first movie we're going to talk about. Almost certain to be nominated for some Oscars. It's the story of a cover-up that spanned four U.S. presidents pushed by the country's first female newspaper publisher and a hard-driving editor to join an unprecedented battle between journalists and government. Steven Spielberg's The Post. This is a devastating security breach that was leaked out of the Pentagon. The most highly classified documents of the war. If you publish, we'll be at the Supreme Court next week. Meaning? Well, we could all go to prison. To make this decision, to risk her fortune and the company that's been her entire life, well, I think that's brave. If the government wins, the Washington Post will cease to exist. If we don't hold them accountable, who will? can't hold them accountable if we don't have a newspaper. So if there's anything that says heavy hitter like Steven Spielberg, Woo. it's Meryl Streep. And then you got a guy named Tom Hanks Who's to that? throw in there, too. <laughs> I mean, holy moly. Yeah, you talk about heavy hitters yeah, yeah, bringing yeah. out this one. And it's it's funny to think that Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, maybe the two preeminent actors of their respective genders, haven't not worked together yet. It is, it is funny to think that. Yeah. I don't know if... They were afraid it would create some sort of black hole when they were when they were in the same room together. We can't take this much talent. No, but Spielberg was like, screw yeah, that. Exactly. So, and it's not only the three of them, but it, Spielberg has assembled a fantastic ensemble. Really, for, really great. Really great for this in, incredibly effective movie that is incredibly timely, as you might think. Now, it's the story of the Post is the Washington Post, and it's funny because a lot of times. The first thought, of, I guess, of a lot of times of people of a certain age, when you hear the Washington Post, the first thing you think of is the Watergate scandal because they broke it uh, with Woodward and Bernstein and all that. But this is about the scandal they helped to break before that, where they really were up against some insurmountable pressures and some insurmountable odds, I guess, to see through the publication of some of Daniel Ellsberg's Pentagon papers. So, and uh, the New York Times had already broken this story, and for maybe the first time in modern history, they incurred the wrath of the White House to the degree that they were being considered treasonous, yeah. and and it was such an affront to, to the freedom of the press, and that's really the core conflict here, is whether this woman who, and the, the thing, the wrinkle is, during this exact same time period, to keep the paper, she is about to take it public. So yeah, there's a there's sort of a, a quiet third issue here, which is not only how how the government can affect the press, but how profitability 
can can affect the press. Very, and so you've got the three working together in a fascinating way. Very much so. And the she you, you speak of is Kay Graham, right. who was the publisher of the Washington Post at the time. It was given to her because of the death of her, her husband, longtime publisher of the Washington Post. Then she Her w- father had been the publisher before, right. handed it down to his son-in-law, exactly. not his daughter, and then she inherited on her her husband's passing. Yeah, and, and because back at the, at the time, she was just kind of looked over by the other men in positions in power at her paper, thinking that, you know, she just wasn't really... A figurehead more than anything. Just didn't have the metal to make the tough Mm decisions. So with the the women's movement and women's issues coming to the forefront right now, it's also very relevant in that regard. And you see that she had to make some very courageous decisions Uh, to stand by her own principles and to stand by the fact that, no, I am in charge exactly, of this Exactly, to paper. shush everybody else right. once she made that decision. And it's not you. And, uh, and her publisher, her editor at the time, was the legendary Ben Bradley, who was played here by Tom Hanks. The legendary Tom Hanks. The legendary Tom Hanks, the GD National Treasure, <laughs> as we like to call him. So you've got, and of course, as the editor, he he's all he's all about publishing this, of course. this information. Of course, of course he, he is. is. But then there's all sorts of different voices coming in to Mrs. Graham's decision-making process. And it's, as we mentioned, all those different people are played by a terrific ensemble. You've got Tracy Letts. Oh, so good. Bradley Whitford. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sarah Paulson is in there as uh, Ben Bradley's wife. I mean, it goes... Yeah, who's, who, who I thought was surprisingly wonderful is Bob Odenkirk. Yes. Who I've not seen do much drama. I know he's got a show, Better Call Saul, well, and he apparently in, he's wonderful in that. Well, he was in Breaking Bad. That's where that Saul character came from. Okay. We didn't watch Breaking Bad, so we were kind of behind the eight ball there. Right. And I know I just heard a collective gasp <laughs> when we said we didn't watch Breaking Bad, but that's because people... We watch all these movies constantly. We just we just don't have the time. And so I just didn't realize that Odenkirk was quite... I mean, I remember in Mr. Show, liked yeah. him in Mr. Show. I didn't realize he had <laughs> right. such dramatic chops, and he's great. No, you're right. Uh, he is. Uh, the entire ensemble is great. And, of course, Spielberg knows how to direct a movie. What? But the, one about, the thing about this movie is that, that kind of jumped out at me in contrast to a lot of his other movies, this one really has a breakneck pace. It does. To it. it does, and and you know, it, it mirrors the urgency. It does, right? I mean, these people are moving at a breakneck pace, and they've got all of this material, and they're working to be able to write stories on thousands and thousands of documents, not even knowing whether they're going to be allowed to publish them. And so, at the same time, in other rooms, people are fighting this other fight. He really does. He he creates a sense of urgency that mirrors what's going on. Yeah, because and he doesn't get heavy-handed about the fact that hey, this type of pressure on the press is happening right, right. now. Mm-hmm. Now it hasn't yet gone to the Supreme Court, but I mean, here you have situation that we're living in right now where the administration in the White House is basically waging a war on the press. And it's very very timely, but but the movie to its credit doesn't beat you about the face and neck with that issue. Right, exactly. It just lays this out. Mm -hmm. This is what happened. Mm -hmm. And even just on its face, the the revisiting this issue is is an incredibly important history lesson. Oh, yes. Very, very. To revisit. And it does it very well. It's the kind of movie where you might think at the outset, oh, I bet this thing is three hours long. You know, kind of like we talked about with Dunkirk. Right, right. But it's not. No. It gets up, it moves, it gives you the ins and outs, and, and really gives you a sense of the different factors that came into play in this one era in time mm-hmm. with this far-reaching consequences. So, yeah, uh, two recommendations for Meryl Streep and Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg and some other no-names uh, <laughs> in, in the post 
Next up is one that actually is getting its first release uh, this week. Usually a January release doesn't bode too well. We'll see how it works out for this one. A businessman caught up in a criminal conspiracy during his daily commute home. That businessman is Liam Neeson, and he's the commuter. Someone on this train does not belong. All you have to do is find them. Why would I do it? In the bathroom, there's $75,000. That money is yours if you do this one little thing. I thought this was hypothetical. You have until next stop to decide. What kind of person are you? Don't make me hurt someone you love. I don't know what the hell's happening. It's all over the news. There's a witness who's in deep with the wrong kind of people. I'm done playing games. Now everyone dies. I asked you to do one little thing. So this is the fourth collaboration between Liam Neeson and director Halmei Kalei Sarah. Yeah, they did um, Unknown. Run All Night. They did Run All Night. And they did a movie called Nonstop. A if few you've years seen ago. <laughs> Nonstop, then you've seen The Commuter. It really is amazing because if this was a different director and a different star, you would look at this and go, um. What a ripoff of Nonstop. Yeah. And then you realize not only is it Liam Neeson, but then it's the same director. It's amazing how much this story mirrors what happened in Nonstop. You've got a guy, of course, Liam Neeson, and he has some ex skills in his past that he's really not using right now. In this case, he's an ex-cop who's now an insurance salesman, and he takes the train to work every day, and one morning he gets hit with um, an offer from this mysterious woman played by Vera Farmiga that turns into, we'll give you a bunch of money if you can figure out the one person on this train who, quote, doesn't belong. Right. And so if you remember nonstop, he was an air marshal and he had some sort of of sketchy background and somebody was going to use that against him to frame him for a crime that he has to figure out how to uncommit before the plane lands. So, And it's very similar here. He's clearly being set up. And he has very little choice but to try to figure out everything that's going on and, you know, beat some people up and hang off of a train and hang underneath of a train and and have it all tidied up before the train stops moving. Yeah, and this one, he's a little more, his character is just, is a little more everyman. Yes. You know, he's not ex-black ops. He's an ex-cop, so he has some sleuthing skills. Right. But he doesn't really have that, that same type of, um, you know, I, I will find you and I will kill you, but still... The fact that it's Liam Neeson just I mean, you know what's going to happen. You know what's, you know what's going to yeah. happen. And uh, it really is amazing how similar the entire structure is to nonstop. And then, of course, you just start thinking about all the different roles that he's had that are similar to this with all the Taken movies and, thing, and things like that. But in a vacuum, just in a vacuum, there are things here about this movie that are guilty pleasures. There, there are. Oh, sure, of course. You know, you've got talented actors uh, up and down the cast. Uh, Patrick Wilson is in it. You've got that Jonathan Banks, who's that longtime character actor. Uh, you've got Sam, Sam Neill. And, of course, Vera Farmiga. Vera, yeah, so there, there's some definite talent here. And, you know, there's some fun, baddie beatdowns and things like that. But, man, even if it was in a vacuum, without the same director, the same star, after a while you're just saying, you know... If you're going to do something that has just 
been done almost note for note just a, like three years ago at least brings something new to it and yeah. it really doesn't it really doesn't i think the only thing i want to give this film credit for is reinvesting in you know the the everyman hero right just a guy just a middle class guy you know uh down on his luck just a humble noble exactly like you said not ex-black ops and not this or that just a dude and he's got he's got a couple of of decent quips because he is that, right? And so I appreciated that about it. And, you know, it's got a couple of, I suppose, fun moments where, because he has to very awkwardly kind of try to get to know all of the other commuters so he can figure out which is the wrong one. And so it it creates a couple of weird, tense moments, particularly with the one actor whose phone he has to keep borrowing. That guy was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's some of that, uh, but... For me, it's just it it, it it's led tiresome. It led somewhere that I thought was pretty darn predictable. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah, but uh, and and didn't do it in enough of a fun way to make it worthwhile. Again, it had some moments here and there that you could call guilty pleasures, but not enough to give it a recommendation. And that is the commuter. And also, a straight-up family film is out this week about Paddington, who's now happily settled with the Brown family and a popular member of the local community. He picks up a series of odd jobs to buy the perfect present for his Aunt Lucy's 100th birthday, only for the gift to be stolen. It's Paddington 2. What is your name? Paddington. Paddington? Yes. You're where there's a bear on your roof. Mysterious things have been happening all over town. We're going to need a foolproof plan. So if you're not familiar... With Paddington, the series, you know, not just the series of movies, it's only the second, obviously, but the series of books, the much beloved, especially in Britain, children's books about a little bear from deepest, darkest Peru who finds his way to London and into the hearts and home of a London family. So in this sequel, which is just fun and charming above all things from the word go, he is searching for this pop-up book that he thinks will be a beautiful uh, birthday gift and it lists leads to adventures all across london with it a fin speaking of a great ensemble what a magnificent cast well you can just tell how beloved in britain just look at the talent involved in the cast you've got michael gambon and imelda staunton and ben whistlaw who's the voice of paddington and and sally hawkins and julie walters and the list goes on and on these are some great british actors who who no doubt I would guess, had a love for this and probably jumped at the chance to be in it. Right. There are 30 books in this series. They started publishing in 1958, so probably most of these people grew up on these books. And they, they are lovely and charming. And one of the things that this movie has going for it, just beyond that, beyond the charm of the, of the story itself, is it is a beautiful film to look at. I mean, the investment in in the visual aesthetic is, is so much more than you expect from a family film. Well, and that's nice because it... Movies like this can bring to mind a book come to life. Yes. You know, especially for, for children or maybe parents who are familiar with the books. It's directed by the same uh, director from the first Paddington, Paul King. It's interesting because Paddington himself is looking for a book. Yeah. And then you're making this book come to life. And it's it's the kind of movie that appeals to both the children and their parents. Absolutely. Which is nice. Yes. Because you have the kind of humor, case in point, like a like a, a character a falling face first into a cake. 
you know, that the little kids just think is a riot. But then you've got other type of nice, warm, sweet family adventure that will keep the parents engaged as well. Right, exactly. It's, it's just a lovely and, and, above all things, charming movie. And really the best kids movie to come out in quite a while. Certainly this year, but in quite a while. So a good one for the families in Paddington, too. And one more to talk about quickly that is in limited release this week, but uh, definitely worthwhile if you can catch it. And it's the life and work of the renowned scientist Jane Goodall, focusing especially on her research about chimpanzees, the documentary Jane. This was where I was meant to be. Jane Goodall, tall, blonde, and beautiful. Living with the chimpanzees in the wilds of Africa. Were you ever really very frightened? I thought they were nicer than us. I had no idea of their brutality. What about the significance of the studies? There were some who tried to discredit my observations because I was a young, untrained girl. I didn't care what anybody said. How long are you going to be associated with the chimpanzee? Until I die. This is from Brett Morgan. Uh, he has done The Kid Stays in the Picture right, years right. ago about Robert Evans. He also did Kurt Cobain, Montage of Heck. Right. That, yeah, very effective. So he knows his way around a documentary, and boy, it's evident here because this is definitely one of the best documentaries of 2017. I fully expect it to be nominated for Best Documentary once the Oscars roll around. It's just an incredible story. I mean, I would guess you probably know a little bit about Jane Goodall and, and her work with chimpanzees, but... Even if you don't, or even if you do, I mean, you feel like you come away with a greater understanding. It's an incredible story. She was just a young secretary to the famed archaeologist Dr. Louis Leakey in the early 60s when he sent her to Tanzania to do a, a, just live among these chimpanzees. And it's amazing. And he actually thought her lack of experience was a plus because she wouldn't bring any biases, biases yeah. to her findings. And then you you are blessed with this incredible incredible amount of footage because back when her experiment started and it started to gain notoriety, well then National Geographic caught on and they sent their uh, acclaimed photographer, Hugo Van Lauric, to join her. Now, eventually he became her first husband. They right. got along very well. But the footage, he uh, director the director here, Brett Morgan, as I said, was blessed with, I think, over 100 hours of 16-millimeter footage to go through from back in the day, and it's it's just amazing. So you, you almost get the feeling like you are discovering her discovering the chimps. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's incredible footage. It's got a great, loving score by Philip Glass. It's really just a beautiful film that gives you all the feels about, you know, <laughs> commitment, curiosity, a desire to learn, and really just one woman's incredible journey just following her passion of what she wanted to do. So a, a big recommendation if you can find it this week for the documentary Jane. And we've got more than a few titles coming out on home videos, starting with... It! <laughs> oh it. my goodness. The weather got you down? Nothing cheers you up like a clown. <laughs> Especially this Pennywise. Oh yeah. my. You know, I remember talking about it when, it when it first came out. We were both very impressed by it. I think everybody was, most everybody was, looking at the box office receipts. Uh, and only really gives us good things, good expectations for the second part. We can only we can only hope so because this first part took Stephen King's book and I think just improved on it. I, I mean, all over the place. They nailed it. They nailed it. And one of the things that they did really beautifully was to uh, move it in time forward from the 50s to the 80s. So it's still got a nostalgic throwback feeling, but you're not so mired in 
some of the sort of problematic dialogue that you get with the 50s flashback sequences in his book. Mm -hmm. And they also wisely pruned some of the scenes that if you read the book, you think, what on earth possessed you? And they, they just they zero in on this great tone and this great feeling of outsider camaraderie and adolescence and just childhood terror. Because it is a scary movie. It is scary, yeah. So we loved it. Also, Chadwick Boseman playing another historical character, and he does it well. It's the life of Thurgood Marshall uh, called Marshall is out this week. I liked this, but I wanted to like it more. It's an interesting story. It's about one particular case that he worked on. There's a great cast, and and he, he he plays Thurgood Marshall beautifully. He makes him this enigmatic strong, powerful character. The problem is that the particular case they chose, Thurgood Marshall isn't the lawyer in the courtroom, Josh Gett, who does a great job, but the problem is they chose a case in which you do not get to hear Thurgood Marshall argue his case. That's a curious choice. Yes, it was. And and I feel like the movie could have been a lot more powerful had they given Chadwick Boseman more of an actual lead. Also out this week, Jackie Chan and Pierce Brosnan doing Battle in the Foreigner. This one... I will say was a little bit better than I expected. Jackie Chan is a father out to find the names of the people that he thinks are responsible for a bombing that killed his daughter. No, let's be honest. This is a Liam Neeson movie without Liam Neeson. <laughs> this is a Liam Neeson movie starring Jackie Chan. And it's it's one that I gave it points because it veered off in areas I didn't expect. It actually it has some beatdowns of course, Jackie Chan, but it also veers off into areas of political intrigue. Uh, involving Pierce Brosnan's character and his past in the IRA. And so that gets into some some little bit more intelligent territory. And yes, there's some some fast-flying fisticuffs with Jackie Chan. He can still pull it off. So not great, but a little bit better than I expected, and that's The Foreigner. And speaking of Liam Neeson, <laughs> he's also out this week on home video with Mark Felt, the man who brought down the White House. And another, uh, you know, historical drama that is should have been an interesting sort of bookend to the post. Yeah, because if you don't know the name Mark Felt, he was Deep Throat. Right, exactly. But the the problem is that it's just a really superficial treatment and it just goes all over the place. It cannot zero in on, a, on one particular thing. The writing is, is weak. Although Liam Neeson does a nice job, I just really came away from this movie disappointed. And one more out this week, Friend Request. It's just one of the many disposable, aimed at 13-year-olds, not really scary, definitely not well-written. This, you know, social media is going to kill you. You don't need to see this. Right. Very few have mined that area well. Um, and it's it's an obvious choice to get into with scary movies yeah, because absolutely. it's so prevalent right now. One that, that did it pretty decently was that... what Tragedy a- Girls, which came out last year, which was a lot of fun, but I think you mean Unfriended. I do mean Unfriended, yeah, but you're right, Tragedy Girls. Yeah, I meant Unfriended. So other than that, it's a, it's a, like I said, it's a real understandable subject to try to take on, but very few do it well, and Friend Request is not one that does it well. Looking ahead to next week, it looks like a full slate of movies coming out, and um, only one of them is one that's now expanding after a late 2017 release in the big, big cities, and that is Daniel Day-Lewis in Paul Thomas Anderson's Phantom Thread. Can't possibly be more excited. Mm, can't wait. Also, 12 Strong, Den of Thieves. Oh, Call Me By Your Name. Now, that's oh, another that's one. that's another one, yeah, that is expanding and that is likely to get some Oscar oh, uh, love. So good. It's another also, great one. Nicholas Cage in a scary movie, Mom and Dad, and a really weird type of flick that we'll talk about 
uh, next week called The Road Movie. So a lot to talk about next week, but how about this week? What do you think? Chime in your thoughts on this week's movies. If you've seen any or looking forward to seeing any, we would love to hear from you. And the easiest way to get at us is on Twitter. We are at Mad Wolf, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F, also on Facebook and Instagram. We're Mad Wolf Columbus, and the main website where you can check out our written reviews of these movies and other fun stuff, always available at madwolf.com. So until next week, the Screening Room Podcast is a presentation of the Columbus Radio Group and sponsored by Marcus Crosswoods Theater. I'm George Wolf. I'm Hope Madden. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.